Please see me after the service, uh, or uh, you can call the church office during the week. We'll be glad uh, to give that number to you. Uh, it's, we have a lot of people who use that, and it's a real wonderful service that we have. Let me also encourage you, if you're at home, to go to our church website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's under the info tab there that you can download the worship bulletin. Uh, if you need one of these in person, they're in the windowsills uh, around as well as at the doors uh, when you leave. So be sure to get one of those. Upcoming activities are in uh, that. So also, also get the children's worship bulletins in person. They're over here to my right in the windowsill. If you have children and you go to uh, children's church, but maybe you just want to take one home, uh, for the kids to do. They go along with each Sunday morning service uh, with a sermon, and so I encourage you to, to get those. You can download those under that info tab uh, also on HighlandBaptistChurch.com. And then also we have our prayer list that is there. Uh, you can download that. I encourage you to take the time to download that. If you need that in person, uh, they are right now on the ends of the seats down here. Uh, they will be in, during the t tonight and the rest of the week out in the foyer across from the office on the tables there uh, where you can pick those up. But we're glad to have you with us this morning. Looking forward to a wonderful time of service. Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us in our opening hymn. Everyone take your hymnals and turn to uh, number two, hymn number two, Holy, Holy, Holy. And for those that don't have the books, you can use the words on the screen. Miss Gail.
Amen. This morning for our Missionary of the Week, you'll notice in your bulletins and on the screen, Daniel and Grace Kim, who are serving the Sub-Saharan African peoples. Uh, when you look at uh, them on the screen there, you'll notice that they are Korean, uh, but they are serving in an area in Zambia. Uh, it's an interesting story there. I'd encourage you uh, to take the opportunity to read more about it, but they are uh, hosting student missionaries there uh, from the Korean Foreign Mission Board who are serving alongside them. Uh, they found that their cultures are very similar, uh, and God is using them in, in great and mighty ways there. So we want to pray for the Kims as they continue to minister in Zambia and for their partnership with the Korean students coming to Zambia to share the gospel. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for the blessings that you have given to us. We thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege to come before your throne of grace and, Lord, to seek your face. And, Lord, in doing that, we know that we first must uh, we come before you as a holy and righteous God, and so we acknowledge our sinfulness first. And we ask, Lord, that you would forgive us and cleanse us of all of our sin. Lord, we don't want anything to hinder our prayers this morning as we're praying, especially on behalf of our missionaries and maybe others that are on our hearts too. Father, we want to pray especially that you would wash us as white as snow, set us on the path of righteousness, Lord, for your name's sake, to live in the truth of your word, each and every day, letting your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, we want to uplift uh, Daniel and Grace Kim uh, who are serving there in Zambia uh, and the student missionaries from Korea who are coming there uh, to be missionaries. Lord, we thank you for uh, our, our mission efforts all around this world and help us, Lord, to realize missionaries are not just going out from Southern Baptist from the U.S. They're going out from other countries uh, also to other places around this world and even here uh, to the United States. And so, Father, we just pray that you will bless all of our missionaries, bless the Kims, keep them safe, Lord. We pray for your provision for them, all the needs that they have. Uh, may you pour out your grace upon them as your grace is sufficient for all of our needs. And we just pray that you'll help them to have a fruitful ministry there ministering to those who are in Zambia. And Father, bless them as they continue the partnership there uh, with, the, with the Korean student ministry uh, and helping them to do the work there in Zambia. Lord, we thank you for the privilege that we have in our giving each and every Sunday to support those missionaries on the field. And so Lord, help us to give, uh, to be cheerful givers, to give out of our hearts uh, and the love that you've shown to us uh, to show to others so that we can be able to share the gospel with people all around this world as well us across North America, our own state, and across our own communities. So bless, your, bless the offerings this morning, Lord, as they go to your kingdom work. And Father, we pray for you to bless this service as we give everything we have and everything we are to you. Lord, sometimes we come burdened and, 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 and weighed down with so many cares uh, of this world. Lord, I pray that we'll come and lay those at the foot of the cross and you will hear uh, our prayers before you and that you will lift us up, Lord, uh, and give us hope and encouragement and peace in our hearts. And we ask these things in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen and amen. Let me just encourage you also again, if you're at home, you can do your online giving there on the church website. Go to the far right hand side. Click the Give Online tab. You can do that from here in person if you need to also. Uh, you'll find offering envelopes, though, because we don't have our pews uh, before you. You'll find those in the windowsills around. So grab one of those, put your offering in it, put it in the plates uh, down at the front. Let me just say a reminder again, because this is the, only the second Sunday we're here uh, with our, our other pews that are not anchored. Uh, be careful as you're getting up. Uh, when Many times we want to put our hands up and to push up. Uh, that will move the pews on there. So 
be careful uh, with the people sitting in front of you there that you don't tip somebody uh, over. So be careful. Maybe just push up on the seat you're sitting uh, on there. So I encourage you uh, to do that. There's a couple of other things. Uh, there's many things in your bulletins, uh, but I just want to remind you that we will not be having our fifth Sunday dinner and seeing next Sunday. Uh, we tentatively have that scheduled uh, for the end of August, and that'll be pending on getting all of our pews back. Uh, but we uh, hope to next Sunday also to have our Lord's Supper. So I want to encourage you to come prepared uh, for that. Things will be a little bit different in how we do that also. Uh, but just want to encourage you to come as we uh, will celebrate the Lord's Supper next Sunday. So, Brother Mike. We pray that when you leave the services each time that you feel the Spirit of the been with us all here today so let's just sing about the sweet sweet spirit this morning with 243 join the choir Miss <coughs> Gail
We want to ask you to pray for our choir as we sing this morning. You'll notice on the screen our title is Good, Good Father. Uh, we also have with that love lifted me. And so we're going to ask you to join in on that part uh, of our song this morning. stories of what they think you're like but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone good Yeah. 
this love so undeniable I, I can hardly speak can hardly think as you call me, deeper still as you call me, deeper still as you call me, deeper still in love, love, love. can't sing, sing this one sitting down so everybody stand as the children proceed to children's church over on the piano side standing on the promises 335 Spirit. 
standing on the promises I cannot fall, listening every moment to the Spirit's call, resting in my Savior as my all in all, standing on the promises of God, standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior, standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. We'll take your Bibles this morning and turn to John's Gospel in John chapter 15. Uh, we're continuing our walk through the life of Jesus, and we're still uh, in what we are calling the Upper Room Discourse, although uh, Jesus and his disciples at this point have probably uh, left the Upper Room or they're on their way out of the Upper Room, uh, on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And in this Upper Room Discourse, Jesus has wanted to share with those disciples that have been with him for those three, three and a half years, some words of encouragement that as he gets ready to ascend to the Father, as he gets ready to, to die on the cross, to be resurrected from the tomb, and then to ascend to the Father, that they could have encouragement that even though he may not physically be there with them, he is going to send the Holy Spirit who will be there with them to encourage them, to give them hope, to, give them, uh, to teach them uh, the truth and point them towards <coughs> himself as well as empowering them with the power of the Holy Spirit to do everything that he's called them to do. And so at this point in his message, uh, he has just finished sharing with them uh, about how they need to be producing fruit. They are to be part of the vine, speaking about us as believers also, that if you know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you ought to be producing fruit in your life. And then Jesus comes in in chapter 15 and verse 18, down through the beginning of chapter 16 through verse 4, and begins to talk about the coming persecution. That isn't an encouraging message that you want to hear uh, when your, your master, your Lord, your Savior is getting ready to leave, that, hey, guys, you're getting ready to be persecuted also. Uh, you're going to suffer many things too, and you are probably going to give your lives uh, also if you remain faithful uh, to the Lord. So let's take our Bibles, if you will, and turn to verse 18 there of chapter 15. And we're going to read verse 18, 19, and 20. And let's stand as we read God's Word in honor of His Word. So here's what Jesus says to them. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word this morning. And we claim the truth and know, Lord, from your word that it is powerful. 
It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces our hearts. It, it shows us truth. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It renews our hearts and our minds. And Lord, we just pray that you will use your word in an effectual way this morning in our hearts. That if we are here or watching online and we don't know Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, may we hear the gospel message. Lord, we pray that we'll understand its truths and that we'll respond to trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But for many of us who are here this morning or watching online who know Jesus already, help us to realize, Lord, this life is not a, a bed of roses. It is not easy. Uh, there are going to be difficulties when we take a stand for Christ. And so help us to take that stand, knowing, Lord, the things that may come our way. And help us truly, Lord, to understand what persecution really is. And Father, I pray that you'll help us to see that through this message this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated. I was doing some research for this sermon uh, and looking. There's many resources that are out there on persecution of the church around the world. In March of this year, the Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, the DRC, uh, ha had a series of, of attacks that were led by their allied democratic forces in the North Kivu pro province that claimed the lives of at least 69 Christians as militants killed seven believers working on their farms. The following day, the group attacked, um, and I don't know if I'm saying these all correctly, but Makandi uh, village, uh, murdering 40 Christians, including 15 children. The latest attack on March the 11th, as of that report, had killed, they had killed 22 believers in the Kirindera village as the extremists also burned down a health clinic and a hospital. And we asked the question, why do things like that happen? Today, more than 80% of the world's population lives in countries where religious freedom is highly or severely restricted. For millions of people, repression, violence, discrimination is just a part of their normal, everyday life. Governments and, and hostile regime, regimes prevent individuals from living in accordance with their faith. Uh, according to a report from Open, Door, Open Doors Ministry, more than 360 million Christians face severe persecution and discrimination for their faith. The study said this, that the number of Christians who have been killed for their faith has also risen by 80% in the last five years. The majority of those killings, 90%, have occurred in the country of Nigeria. As militant Islamist groups use violence to, to advance political and ideological objectives, persecution against Christians, the article said, is more severe in the north, uh, though, though enforced Islamization is gradually spreading towards the south uh, of Nigeria. Uh, the Open Doors report uh, reported that groups such as Boko Haram, uh, Iswap, and the Fulani mil militants, they kidnap, uh, inflict violence upon, or kill their victims, and appear to be increasingly conspiring together against Christians as well as Muslims who oppose them. In, in northern Nigeria, Christians are also viewed as second-class citizens, converts from Islam, may be rejected by their families or endure physical violence. And we ask the question, why do things like that happen? Uh, you think about communist China. Uh, 
In communist China, those under 18 are prohibited now from attending church. Crosses have been replaced with portraits of, of China's communist leaders. The CCP is working to rewrite the Bible uh, to align to its ideology, uh, utilizing oppressive restrictions, surveillance, propaganda. The Chinese Communist Party is forcing Christians to put the ideology of the party before the teachings of Christ. And more restrictions continue to be placed on the church and on Christians in that country. And we ask, why do things like that happen? On May the 3rd of this year, tensions between the Kuki tribe, uh, who are majority Christian and the majority Hindu uh, Midi people in the Manipur state of northeast India, escalated into violence. The community-wide rioting led to burning of more than 200 churches and the deaths of more than 60 believers. Tensions have been brewing between those two groups for decades, and we ask the question, why do things like that happen? And we here in America, uh, we're going to talk about our persecution or what we at least call persecution here. We experience persecution, but in a much lesser way, uh, a much lesser scale that doesn't hurt us physically. Many times doesn't cost us our life like other Christians uh, around the world are having to experience. Uh, but living for Christ and taking a stand for Christian values may cost you your job. It, it may cost you a business deal. It may cost you some friends. It may cost you to be labeled intolerant, uh, bigoted, or, or an infidel, or worse. And the question we can't help but ask over and over is why do things like that happen? Well, when we come to this text today and what Jesus shares with his disciples and shares with us, it's almost like a light bulb begins to come on and we're like, okay, now that explains a lot. And so here we're going to see a threefold explanation from Jesus about the reality of persecution. The first thing I want you to see is that our walk with Jesus produces an indignation of those in the world. You see that in verse 18 down through verse 20. Uh, read those verses again with me, if you will. It says, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me, before it hated you. Now stop right there for just a moment and you notice that word if. That word if there in that context is not a conditional if. That word if is there as the word since. So he's saying since the world hates me, since the world hates Jesus, he's saying it's going to hate you. And when the world hates you, it's because they hate me. Think about this. Have you ever had a relationship that was just so strained that just the sight of that person or, or even the sound of their voice just, just ticked you off? Somebody maybe asked, what, what's, he, what's that person doing that bothers you so bad? And, and you say they're just breathing. Now that may not sound nice, but that's exactly how much the world feels many times about Bible-believing Christians. And so there's indignation when we love a different Lord than the God that they serve. So the world, the word for world there uh, in verse 18 when he says, if or since the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. The word world there is the word cosmos, which means order. It means the way things are arranged. 
Uh, and so what he's saying there is that biblical Christians, authentic disciples, have a different order, a different way of living because we have a different master. We have a different Lord. Jesus had just said in the previous chapters here to his disciples that, that he was their friends. He talks about us. If we are a Christian, if we know Jesus as Lord and Savior, we can be his friends. And now he says, they will hate you because they hate me and we're friends. That's why they hate you. So listen, if we don't regularly in our hearts and in our lives feel the sting of criticism, if we don't taste the bitter fruit of mockery and get the, the distinct sense that we're, we're pilgrims and strangers and aliens in the foreign land, it could be that our relationship with the Lord is not where it really needs to be. It could be that we don't raise the anger of the world because we're not raising the standard of the Lord. And people aren't seeing the Lord in us that it becomes then an offense to them. It may be that we're more like the world than we are like Jesus. It may be that we're more friends with the world than we are friends with Jesus. And maybe the devil doesn't see us today as the American church. Uh, he sees us more of an ally than he does an adversary. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 27 says this, An unjust man is an abomination to the righteous, but one whose way is straight is an abomination to the wicked. So if you are seeking to live a way, a life that is holy to God, it is going to be naturally offensive to this world because the world is not opposed to religion. The world is not opposed to good deeds or even to the church per se. But when you start mentioning the authority of the Word of God, when you start praising the precious name of Jesus, when you start talking about an, talking about an exclusiveness, uh, an exclusive means of salvation, when you mention uh, faith in a once dead but now resurrected Galilean, that that's the only true pathway to heaven... This world will pounce on you like a lion on a gazelle. Think about this. When you're at one team's school and you're pulling for the other team, you're going to get picked on. You're going to be persecuted when you live in the devil's territory and you're pulling for Jesus. Now, I am convinced that persecution in this country is increasing, even though it's not near at the level of the rest of this world. Uh, but it's not because the church is getting any more holy that we're being persecuted. It's primarily because the world is getting more hostile. And, and, and so maybe you're thinking, well, that explains a lot. There's an indignation when we love a different Lord, but there's also an indignation when we live a different life. Uh, notice verse 20 again. He says, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master." If they persecuted me, that's Jesus saying this, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If you kept my word, they will also keep your words. And so we see in that verse there you know, the, the fact that most American Christians cannot relate to even the mildest persecution that goes on around this world is itself an indictment against us. 
There are two reasons many times that American Christians haven't faced a lot of violent persecution in our history. One is the influence of the gospel in the founding of our nation, but the other is a compromised assimilation of Christians into the overall culture in, in America that we don't look any different than the rest of the world in America uh, than, than they do. Hebrews 11 verse 13 tells us that people of faith are to be strangers and pilgrims on this earth. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 commands us to be a peculiar people, to be a holy nation. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says. 2 Corinthians 6 17 says, Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. And yet many times for us here in America, and especially for Christian parents many times, the last thing we want is for our child to be different from the world. If everybody else is going to that movie, if everybody else has that technology or is wearing that, or uh, we want our children to be uh, a part of the, uh, the world uh, so that they're not laughed at by others. Many of us, even today, don't live uh, differently enough from the world to even warrant a harsh word, much less the edge of an executioner's blade that Christians have experienced around this world. The average believer in America lives so much like the world that we don't even get a smirk or a rolled eye, much less the burning stake that boiled many of the, the blood of the martyrs. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let that sink in for just a moment. Indeed, all. Not a single one of us in here who profess with our lips to be a believer is going to escape persecution. Think about that. I thank God that we have a lot of faithful Christians in this church, but all too often we as Christians in America think that persecution occurs when our favorite coffee company takes snowflakes off their red paper cups. May God forgive us that that's our view of persecution that's so low and our knowledge of it is so pitiful. We think that persecution is a hateful bumper sticker that we see on a vehicle going down the road that says, so many Christians, so few lions. We rationalize that no one would dare to, to drive a, a vehicle like that with, with, with an anti-Muslim or anti-Jewish message on their bumper sticker. And so we say, well, that's persecution. We think that persecution is when our favorite retailer at many times at Christmas says, happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. We act like, when they do that, we act like we're living in the Spanish Inquisition. Now, don't get me wrong. I like snowflakes on my Starbucks cup. I love saying Merry Christmas. But the fact that we think that persecution and a war on Christians here in America is a war on Christians reveals really just how little of the war of which Jesus speaks that we understand because maybe we live so little of the life Jesus lived. 
All of those things and many more compel in comparison to the persecution that Christians around this world are facing every day. Now, we may look at what's going on here in America, and it may be the beginnings of a growing hatred towards Christians, but it's not the kind of persecution that the Bible is talking about here. Our walk with Jesus does produce, though, and ought to produce, an indignation from the world. Secondly, we see that our witness for Jesus produces an indictment. It produces an indictment. Pick up with verse 21 here, you're going to see. The world will hate Christians not only because of how we live, but because also of what we say. Think of it in this way, like an eyewitness at a, at a murder trial. They begin to raise their voice to accuse the defendant. The voice of the Lord's church crying out with the message of the gospel is simultaneously a voice of adoration for who God is, but also an accusation and an indictment against the world for not receiving Jesus. And so this two-count indictment involves what Jesus said about himself and what his followers now say about Jesus. So look at what Christ revealed. Look at what Christ revealed. He had certainly revealed the Father. Notice verse 21 and then verse 23 and 24. He says, but all these things they will do to you. Why? On account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Notice verse 23. Whoever hates me, Jesus says, hates my Father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen, and they have hated both me and the Father. So understand what Jesus is saying here. He didn't cause them to sin. He just revealed their sin. I mean, think about it. Have you ever been in a room and everything looks clean, uh, but then up in the corner, some little crack, some little crevice up there, you begin to see where a spider has weaved his web. You begin to see those cobwebs. Something you otherwise wouldn't have seen if the light hadn't been just shining just right. The spider has built a web, and you would have never seen it in the darkness, but the light hits it just right. That is an illustration of what happens when you read God's Word and you hear God's Word and you study God's Word. The light of God's Word begins to shine on the cobwebs of sin in your heart and in your life, and it ought to shine through you on the cobwebs of sin in other people's lives. Not that you have to accuse them or judge them. The Jews, they didn't care for that kind of exposure. The perfect holiness of Jesus was tearing down their covering of their iniquity. Uh, they thought they were hiding it. They were getting away with it. And it began to pull down the facades of their dead religion. Philippians chapter 2 verse 15 says that we are to be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in this world. If you know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you ought to be shining the light of the world, Jesus Christ himself, to the world of darkness. Most police officers and security experts will tell you that a big deterrent to crime is light. Criminals like the dark. Similarly, the light of the world came shining in the darkness. And the Bible tells us that men love the darkness 
rather than the light because their deeds were evil. We've seen what Christ revealed, but now also listen to what Christians are to repeat. Notice verse 26 and verse 27. So verse 26 goes on to say, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And then notice what verse 7 says. So it's not just the Spirit is only going to reveal to you Jesus himself, but then notice what happens in verse 27. He says, And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, historically, that was fulfilled at the day of Pentecost. But it's also being fulfilled today uh, through our faithful witnessing. And it makes no sense that the world would be filled with hatred for Jesus to the point they would crucify him because of what he said, because of how he lived and what he taught. And then somehow, they're just going to love us. And we're just all going to get along with the rest of the world. And if, if we, uh, when we te do the things he taught us, when we live the way he lived and we repeat what he said, it's foolish for us to think that we could live like Jesus and not experience the persecution that Jesus did. We represent Jesus. We don't get to change the message. The message is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so those who rejected him because of his message, they will reject us because we have the same message. And so our walk with Jesus ought to produce an indignation and our witness for Jesus ought to produce an indictment. And then I want you to see thirdly here that our word from Jesus ought to produce an incentive in our hearts. Notice chapter 16 and verse 1 through verse 4 here. Our, our, Jesus never wasted words, and the Holy Spirit never wasted ink recording those words. Jesus had a reason for saying these words that we're going to read here, and John had a reason to write them down. Now, we have a man-made break there between chapter 15 and chapter 16, a man-made break in, in the division of the chapters there. But there is a promise in these next four verses here that connect us to the persecution that Jesus describes in the preceding verses. And so notice this incentive to reflect on what Jesus predicted. So he says in verse 1 down through verse 3, he says, I have said all these things, what things? That you're going to be persecuted. That the world's going to hate you because it hated me. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God, that he's doing God a favor by getting rid of you. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. When you read there in verse 1, to keep you from falling away or stumbling, that means to keep you from being surprised, to keep you from being offended or, or tripped up in your faith. And so this explanation of the Christian life that is markedly different from what we see of the church in America today. Because understand this, Jesus didn't promise your best life now. Or, or, or that he had a wonderful plan for your life. 
or that if you just followed him, he's going to give you a Rolex and a fancy car and a big house for you. No, what he promised was this, that the call to follow Jesus is a call to suffer for the sake of Jesus' name. This word from Jesus is designed to keep us from stumbling. But when we look at America, the church has stumbled in recent times on the issue of persecution. At least the American church has. Because we have the idea that God has given us the freedom that we have here in America to have a freedom from persecution. After all, we're Americans. Uncle Sam, apple pie, baseball, 4th of July picnics. I have my rights. One of the things that we have forgotten in America is that the true church has always been outside of power, that the church is not about politics. We've done better in the prayer closet than we have in the Oval Office. God's people and God's work have fared many times better in times of oppression and persecution than in times of relative ease. Gone are the days, uh, uh, the apostolic days, where Peter and, and other New Testament believers praised God that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. No, we have our lawyers on speed dial, and we won't stand for it. All too often, we as the church and we as Christians have snuggled up to the political power with the idea that it's going to make the church popular, that it's going to make the church prominent and spare us from the rod of persecution. But that idea defies the promise of Jesus. What was his promise? If you follow me, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to suffer. Political power has never promoted or purified the church. Worldly power tends to pervert the Lord's church. We ought to absolutely, though, stand for, for, for civic power and religious liberty. But as we fight for right in this world of so much wrong, uh, the bride of Christ had better make sure that we're standing beside the right groom, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our, our groom is not the government. That's not where our hope is to be. It's not in any form of the political government. It's not in any person. It's not in anything else but Jesus Christ and him alone. And as Jesus promised, if you stay in a relationship with me, here's what you need to know. It's going to be a long, hard road. Because think about these disciples who Jesus is speaking to. Eleven or ten of these eleven men who died, they died violent deaths at the hands of their critics. And that doesn't count the millions since that time who have given their lives for the name of Jesus Christ. So much so, so much so, that many have said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. There's an incentive to reflect upon what Jesus predicted. He didn't say that some of you are going to experience this. He said all are going to experience these things, if you follow me. Then we come down to verse 4, and we see the incentive to rest on what Jesus promised. Notice verse 4. Don't you always love when you come to this word in the Bible, the word but? He talks about all this persecution his followers are going to face, 
How the world's going to hate them, the world's going to despise them, the world's going to be against them and everything. He says, you're going to be put out of the synagogues, they're going to do these things, they're going to think they're even doing it as a service to God, that they're doing God a favor. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. So the Savior is saying here, when it happens, remember I told you so. This is the same thought Jesus used in John chapter 13 and verse 19 when he said this. He said, I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Now this ability to predict the future, that's a telltale sign that Jesus is God. In fact, John 20 and verse 31, when John is writing his gospel, he's closing it this way and says, but these things are written. All these things in John's gospel are written. Why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So here's the point. If this promise is true, the other ones are too. So remember, this whole discourse has been to prepare the disciples to navigate a hostile world without him. He had recently told them, I'm leaving you. You can't come right now. I'm going to prepare a place for you. When I'm gone, know this, they're going to hate you to the point of death. But he says, but if you die, don't you worry. Don't you worry. When I got up from the dead, I rose with power over your death too. One day I'm going to descend from heaven with the shout of the voice of the archangel. And when I come, I'm going to handle your enemies. I'm going to crush them with a rod of iron and with brass feet of judgment. I'm going to trample out the winepress of the wrath of my Father. And all those that persecuted you may be shocked to know that on that day, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. One day, the Bible says, here's a truth you need to hold on to. One day, the Bible says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Son of God that he is the rose of Sharon, that he is the king of kings, that he is the Lord of lords. Here's what I want to close with. I'm no fool. I'd rather not face persecution. I dare say any of us wouldn't want to have to face it. But here's what you need to realize. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it is eventually coming. I don't care what kind of standard we were founded upon as a nation. This world around us is against Christianity all the way around the rest of the world. You see people who are giving their lives, and we think, well, we have a blessing here in America, and we do, and we don't need to take those blessings for granted. But we also need to realize there are other Christians who are out there who are, who are suffering persecution, real persecution, not what we call persecution here in America. But persecution is coming. And as it does, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Keep your eyes focused on the risen Savior. Keep your eyes focused on the author and the finisher of our faith. 
to see him by faith, ruling and reigning in truth and righteousness. Because no matter what crazy mess is in the news tomorrow, this passage explains a lot. If you live for Jesus, if you truly live for Jesus, you're going to face persecution in this world. Why? Because the world hated him. And if the world hated him, the world is going to hate you. If the world is not hating you, if the world, you're not, being, you're not making an impact in people's lives, that your life is not some kind of little prick in their hearts because you're living the gospel before them, then you maybe need to do some soul searching to make sure you're where you need to be with the Lord. Because the more you're with the Lord and the more the Lord is shining through you, that's what he does. And you will suffer persecution. Trust him. Follow him. Keep your eyes on him for the coming persecution. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, all too often, Lord, things that we have called persecution here are nothing. Nothing. It's an inconvenience sometimes. But it's nothing compared to people who have been beheaded, people who through the generations before have been burned at the stake, people, Lord, who have been attacked in churches that have been burned in, in this past year alone around the world, people, Lord, who are forbidden to go to church in the face of prison, Lord, I pray that we would realize that the things we're facing here in America is really just more of an inconvenience. It's not truly persecution. And a part of that is because we're not living this word. We're not living like Jesus because you promised us. You promised us. The world will hate us if we follow you. So are we following you, Lord? Are they seeing some difference in our life that is bringing conviction in their hearts over their sinfulness? Father, I pray that it does, in whatever way that may be. Father, I pray that our lives and our words will, will bring, Lord, the truth and the light of the world, Jesus Christ, into their lives to shine the light on the cobwebs, not only of their sin, but the cobwebs of our sin. Lord, we don't also, as Jesus said, uh, we don't want to deal with the, uh, the, the speck that's in somebody else's eye if we've got a beam in our own eye. So help us, Lord, to make sure we get the beam out of our own eye first before we try going to get the speck out of someone else's. But Lord, help us to realize that if we do live for Christ, it's not going to be an easy road. It's going to be difficult. There are going to be times, Lord, when we're being persecuted that we're just going to feel like quitting and giving up. It's not worth it. But Lord, I pray that we'll find our strength in you and our strength in the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Lord, that's the encouragement you were giving your disciples. That even though Jesus was about to leave them, he was sending one who would be there with them. One who is here with us today. That when we come to the place to realize that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and we call out to God and say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. 
I believe Jesus died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, and arose on the third day. Jesus, come into my heart and save me and help me to live for you all the days of my life. And we mean something like that in our own words and our prayer before you. Lord, help us to know that we're saved, but also help us to realize, Lord, that doesn't mean that everything's going to be fine and dandy now. In fact, it's probably going to get harder. And Father, I pray that we will find our strength in the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And that if we are here this morning and we've already done that, we've already asked Christ into our heart, we already know that we're saved, Father, I pray that we will live ever more faithful than ever before. Lord, in the light of what will come at some point, even more, even in our own country, as other believers are facing around the world. So Father, we pray for your will to be done, that in the time that we have, uh, before that day comes on the scale that it is in the rest of the world. Father, help us to be faithful, Lord, sharing the gospel as much as we can, living it in our, in our lives so that when it does come, it doesn't catch us off guard, that we are just doing what we've always done, living for you, serving you, following you, taking up our cross daily. And Father, I pray for your blessings upon us. Lead us, Lord, guide us in the days ahead of the coming persecution. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Brother Mike, come and lead us in our hymn of invitation, number 310, Out of My Bondage. Would you stand, and as the Lord's maybe laid on your heart to come, would you come this morning, maybe for salvation, maybe for church membership, whatever the Lord's laid on your heart, as we stand, as we sing, number 310.
just a moment. Brother Mark, if you'll come and share our announcements. Morning, everybody. Just to have a couple of quick announcements. Pastor Matt is up first. I want to bring to y'all's attention, if you've seen the bulletin, that uh, next Sunday night at 5, we're going to have a, a mission trip meeting. And so if you are interested in going to Memphis, Tennessee on a mission trip with me and some students, then I want to open this up to uh, you adults as well and parents. And so if uh, this is more of a information meeting and so that if you want to think about it you have some time to look it over and over the things that I'll be handing out and I will have to have a decision by August 4th on whether or not you're going to commit to go there will be a $50 deposit by August 15th that we would need to give and we need at least 10 people to make this trip happen and so if that's something that you're interested in uh, please uh, pray about that and come next Sunday night at 5 in the youth room and we will talk more about what the trip entails and what we'll be doing. All right, thank you. Okay, and I would just mention, let's be in prayer as the nominating committee is uh, uh, recruiting folks to serve on various uh, ministry teams for next year. And if the Lord is speaking to you about a spiritual gift you might have, and you're looking for a place to exercise that gift and to honor the Lord, be open to his leading as a nominating committee continues their work. Let's also be in prayer for Mark Raymond and the Raymond family as he was taken to the hospital this morning, I understand having some problems walking. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this reminder from our Lord that his kingdom is not of this world and that uh, his presence in our lives is a goad to many people that do not honor or love or worship him. And may our lives be a reminder of his presence in this world. Thank you for each one that is here. For any that were not able to be here, uh, bless them and, and bring them back into our midst quickly. Be with Mark and just the doctors today as they continue to seek to help his uh, ability to walk. Thank you again for this time together and just go with us from this place, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.